Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 20 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Becchione. Welcome to today's episode. Our wounds are often the openings into the best and most beautiful part of us. David Rico. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. Welcome to FASD Hope. I have been having a 30-minute conversation with my new friend and uh, fellow um, brother in faith, fellow parent of young adults with FASD, and most most recently, um, a really a mover and shaker in the FASD community. And we also have a connection in that we're both in rural spaces. Rob is in rural Canada, in rural Ontario. And uh, of course, you know, we FASD hope we're in rural North Carolina here in the US. So I'm so happy to welcome on FASD Hope, Rob Moore of Rural FASD. Rob, welcome to FASD Hope. Thank you so much, Natalie, for having me here. And we've been having fun talking. And before we started recording, and then we, you know, we both realized, hey, we need to record this wonderful conversation. So <laughs> I am so happy that Rob is on FASD Hope. I am just in awe of the amazing work and advocacy that he and Rural FASD is doing. And we will be sharing Rural FASD's website and social links because if you haven't visited their website, it's pretty awesome. I I really enjoyed it. It's very aesthetically pleasing and such a resource. So Rob, if you please share with our audience just your work with Rural FASD and um, the history of Rural FASD. Sure. Thanks, Natalie. I uh, So first of all, uh, Rural FASD came into existence uh, five years ago. There was uh, six of us who gathered around, uh, uh, I guess, my kitchen table. And uh, we had gotten connected because uh, there had been a community um, meeting that we had all kind of met at uh, around support services for people with disabilities um, related to FASD. And we quickly discovered there was basically nothing. So uh, from that, we uh, uh, decided to, um, uh, we needed to do something about it. And, uh, and we, so from there, we just continued to um, come together. We realized that really the first step was to uh, make sure we were bringing awareness uh, to the public in general, making sure that people understood. Um, most of the conversations we were having at that point was even having to explain what FASD was. And uh, so that was that was really the first step for us. From there, um, we, we've been able to meet with a lot of different partners. And I, the thing that I think that I would really stress about is the importance of the six of us that 
Um, a lot of times because I have the pleasure of serving as the uh, communications and, and media relations uh, for the organization, a lot of times I think people think that it's me and it's most certainly not me uh, in a large sense. And in fact, uh, I, I'm quick to point out, I'm not even the chair of the organization, actually. I just serve as the secretary. So uh, uh, there is definitely... Um, the six of us have a really wide range of skill sets, though, that uh, um, there, there's no doubt that uh, it was definitely God's work to uh, to bring us together. Uh, he definitely knew what he was doing, even though we didn't at the time. So uh, from there, we just continued to uh, it's just continued to grow as we continued um, bringing awareness to our local community. That's really where we focus. And ultimately, I guess for us, it was just about trying to get services for our children. Uh, there was never really an intention of creating an organization or, um, you know, there was, we realized that we needed to have uh, some sustainability. We realized that we needed to uh, have a collective voice. And so that was really why the organization came about. Um, we all know that, you know, for if if it's just me calling for services, if it's just me asking to for things with my kids, it doesn't have as much impact as when there's five of us doing it. And it doesn't have as much impact when there's 25 of us doing it. And so that's really where it all kind of grew from. Right now. I will say it's been an extremely rapid growth, uh, and, and God has just been incredibly blessing us through all of it. Uh, but right now, we, we basically, year two, we jumped from uh, the six of us to uh, 35 of us. Uh, year two, we jumped up to 65 of us. Uh, year three, we hit um, 120 of us, uh, and these are families. So it, it's 35 families the first year, it was 60 families the second year, 120 families the third year. Right now, we actually just passed the, uh, the 200 mark uh, in terms of families. And, and right now we're representing um, um, about, it's a little short of 600 individuals uh, directly impacted by FASD. So that's kind of where we're at right now. And that's so amazing, Rob, because we're not talking about like a metro area We're, you know, we have in common, oh. we're in rural spaces. So getting yeah. those numbers is so amazing. That's such a, a blessing because I'm looking at these numbers and it's like more than doubling each year. So that really, sh that really shows the need and how, you know, the work that you, your group is doing, because again, um, I, I do want to acknowledge the, the other wonderful members in your group, and you can go on the website to learn about everybody and the, and the yeah. important role that they all play um, in, yeah. in this wonderful organization. But yeah, I mean, you and I know that in the blessing of living a simple life in a rural area, because I, that's the reason why we, we moved out here because we knew that it, it would yeah. be, it would be a more 
it would be a more fruitful life for our son, you know, with given his interests. And it would also be a slower pace. And the people who we live around, they truly understand and support our family. And, and we knew that the trade-off, of course, would be no services, no support. You know, the local hospital is half hour away, you know, and that's a, a small community yep. hospital. If you want a big one, then it's about an hour away. So yeah, yep. we know the trade-off, but that's just, oh my goodness, that's so wonderful to hear that growth. So so let's talk about and and I again I want to acknowledge everybody's role in this wonderful organization. And I know you'll you'll talk more about them, but let's just talk about how you went from being a dad of three children, now young adults with FASD, to becoming an important part of this FASD organization. Yeah, I it's a it's always a really difficult question. I, I find I I get asked it a lot. Um and, and really for me, it's I guess I start with the fact that number one my three children are absolutely my heroes. They are, you know, we talk about FASD being a spectrum disorder. It it is most certainly a spectrum disorder. Um, My three children are about as different from each other as as you can possibly get. And, uh, but at the same time, they, I guess the comparison that I always use is I don't work any harder than they do. I don't really, the only difference between, I guess, where, where some of the things I'm able to do versus some of the things that they're able to do is I just don't have the obstacles that they have to overcome. I don't have the challenges that they have to overcome. Their, their, their level of success is defined by the fact that they get up in the morning and are willing to face the day again. And I know like when, like it is so incredibly hard um, for them and to see the level of success that they have been able to achieve. And, and that's the big one for me is, is just that idea of, I, I'm in some sense, I, I, I'm an advocate for them only from the standpoint that I don't have a problem getting up in front of thousands of people and talking. I don't have a problem. Uh, you know, it's, I, I, I'm, I can, I can walk up in front of the um, largest levels of government and, and share our story. Um, whereas my children are, are not in a position to be able to do that. And so they just like every single, just like every person, not just every person with FASD or disability, every person needs support. You know, God did not create us to be hermits. He did not create us to be alone. Um, if I, 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 I use the comparison, I, I love, I think one of the big benefits of what's happened the last two years around COVID is the world now understands what how challenging life can be when you're isolated and you cannot be in community 
and, and look at what it does to your mental health. Look at what it does to your physical health. Look at what it does to your employment. Well, this, this concept of accessibility is, I'm glad it's finally getting talked about because accessibility is much, much more than um, mobility. Accessibility is in, like, it's about the ability to communicate. It's about the ability to um, understand what you need. It's about the, it, it's about being able to function when you've got so much that you're having to overcome. And what are we doing to help that? And, and I guess even to, I mean, for me, uh, and, and the rest of our, the rest of our core team within the organization, all of us caregivers, we're going to tell you the exact same thing. The only reason the organization continues to exist today is because right now, if I was not in a position to care for my three children, I don't know what they would do. There's no one else. And so there has to be somebody else. Yes. And so that's why the organization got created is we know there ha it has to be sustainable from the standpoint that there's got to be somebody who can step in for us as the primary caregiver when it's needed. And particularly, well, particularly after God has decided that my life here on earth is now my work here on earth is done. Um, like I, I, that I believe is one of the things that, that, that um, God is calling on all of us to do is to ensure that his children are, are going to continue to be provided for. And that's what, to me, the body of Christ is all about is it, it, it shouldn't be just on my immediate family. It should be all of us. Yes. And, and people are responding to that. And then the last, and I guess the other part that I would also say is, um, I, when you go to the website, the comment that a lot of people come back and, and, and speak about is the fact that really what we're doing is we're providing a platform for people to have, to be able to share their own voice. That, that, and that's what the focus is. And that's what it's entirely about is it, it, it again, it's, it's, it's not about me at all. And in fact, even our board of directors will say, our entire board will say, it's not about us. Um, it, it's one of, the, one of the things that we very intentionally did at the, at the very beginning is we actually have it in our constitution by constitutional bylaws that to be a member of our organization, you have to be directly impacted by FASD. And so we have this really unique model where the bosses are the clients. And so when the bosses are the clients, then the level of passion that comes along with it and, and the fact that all decision-making is always going to be in the best interest of the yes. client, obviously. Yes. That it's, and then at the same time, you know, it, it's, I love the fact 
one of one of the models that we hold on to is that UN convention uh, in, in terms of um, for people with disabilities and, and Canada has actually adopted it here two years ago and uses the same phrase, but it's that nothing for us without us. Yes. And so absolutely. Um, if, 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 if you want to serve me, you're going to listen to me. You're going to hear my voice. You're, you're going, it, it needs to be a collaboration. It, it cannot be a situation where the expert says, this is what we need. We know what we need. We just need expert, it provided. And the experts, yes, so magnificently said, Rob, and the experts are those with an FASD. That's it. We are serving yeah. them. It's, yeah. you know, you, when you think about true servant leadership, that you are putting yeah. yourself you know, yep. you're serving, you're, you're at the feet and you are serving them. They are the ones who are telling us, okay, this is the support I need. This is, um, this yep. is what I need spiritually. This is what I need physically. This yep. is what I need med medically. Yep. I love that. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so glad after two years, I'm, I'm able to talk to you, <laughs> you know, as a representative of rural FASD, because you're the way the organization is set up it's so giving the self-advocate, the individual with an FASD, yeah. they have the strongest voice. And I think they should. That's yeah. something that's been repeated on our podcast for the past few years. Those individuals with an FASD, their voices should be heard first because they will tell you what life is like. And like you said, accessibility, this really put, you know, the past two, you know, few years has really put a spotlight oh, on, yeah. oh, yeah. this is what it's like. And yeah. And this is honestly, when, when we share, and I don't know about you, Rob, but when we moved from suburbia to rural country, I think that was more of a shock than COVID because we were already isolated. We we're already like, yeah. you know, you go into town once a week to pick up your groceries yeah. and that kind of thing. So yeah. you know, when, when, like you said, when everybody was like, oh my gosh, you know, I haven't seen somebody in there, you know, we were like, no, that's just life out here in the farm, you know, life out here in farm country. So um, yeah. it's so important that we support each other. And like you said, we were not created. God did not create us to be alone. We need to support each other, whether the physical distance be close or far away. So I, I just love, love what you're saying. And speaking about the growth, so you, you shared a little bit about how the organization has grown in, in, um, in exponential ways. What key points, you talked about the initiative, you talked about just a lot of different things. What key points have or developments have stood out for you, especially in the past couple of years before we, we get into the... Uh, nuts and bolts of rural FASD? Yeah, um, it's a really good question. And, and it's one where um, it's, it's, there's been so much that I, to try to think, but I, I, there's definitely, um, I guess, three or four of, of, of the biggest ones in terms of what I'm, I, I guess, in terms of what really stood out. Um, the first one, I guess the first one was we um when the when the group first began like i said we 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 focused on that awareness piece and we from there we just you know we just kept talking and talking and talking and talking making people aware 
just having them uh, realize, you know, we existed. This is this is what we're kind of facing, and so on. Uh, from there, what happened then is what we were finding is there was a lot of um, uh, there was a desire to help, but at that point, no one really knew what to do. No one, even within the caregivers, we were like um, dealing with this situation. You got any suggestions on what to do and, and all of those kinds of things. And so that was the second piece that we realized that we had to do was, was around that education, best practices, strategies, those kinds of things. And I, I see a lot of, um, I actually see a lot of parallel between FASD Hope and, and what we've done, because I, really you've started the same way. Like you started with this concept of, okay, I just want to get information out. I just want to create community. I want to create getting people together. And so, you know, that's what this podcast is doing is, is, is we're, we're, we're getting the word out. But then at the same time, you know, you're, you're bringing in folks who have lived experience and have kind of figured it out to some extent. I mean, you never totally figure it out, but, but there's definitely different pieces. And, and really our speaker series that we did, that we do uh, every month with our, with our uh, caregiver and, and um, uh, youth support groups is that's a, that was a key component for sure is uh, bringing the speakers in and, and, and really being able to then share best practices around how to best support people with FASD. But what we found was within our meeting, we always have, it's always two parts. There's always the, the speakers part at the, in the first 45 minutes, and then we always have the confidential sharing time in the last 45 minutes. And Honestly, it, it is, it's the sharing time that's the really valuable time, that the amount that we learn from each other, and, and we've actually, with that, um, we've actually created a term called touch points. Uh, and, and, and what a touch point is, is when someone shares a piece of information that everybody else learns from. So for example, somebody shares a strategy that they've learned and the other 13 in the room hear it. Well, we've just created 13 touch points. And so, but then that 13, then go out into the community and they're gonna share, you know, with their friends and their circles, what they just learned. And so again, that's that exponential aspect where all of a sudden that 13 touch points have suddenly changed into what we have determined is our monthly meeting on average that we can document, and it's probably more than that, but in terms of what we can actually track and document, we generally create around 750 to 800 touch points through every single one of our meetings. And so that's really, that was the second piece that we really discovered was, was the key aspect of it. But then the last, the, the third piece that comes with that is, um, I th I, it is the key, it is the absolute key to everything that we are. And it's at the very core. And if there's one thing that if, 
If there's one thing that I would love for everyone to walk away with, it would be this one. We, it took us a long time to come up with the term as to what it is that we created, but the term that we use is fellowship. And when we talk about fellowship, what, what we had, what we figured out was that the, the, the core 2025 of us, the, the, the core 2025 families that, that really are the, the, the foundation of the organization, um, the, the, the comments that we make to each other is it, it wouldn't even matter if the organization completely disappeared, we'd still be hanging out together. Like we just, we're just like, it's even beyond friends. Like we, we try to use, like we talked about colleagues and we talked about friendship and we talked about um all those kind of different terms, collaborators, and and all of those different terms, and and none of them fit. And what we what the reason we the reason we used fellowship is I actually came across in my research. Um, that's what the the so the the Canadian Royal Canadian Legion, which consists of all of our veterans. That's the term they use is fellowship. And then we got thinking about, okay, well, we use that term all the time in our churches, right? Our, our churches are always talking about fellowship time. What does fellowship? And then the third one that I actually came across that I found fascinating was Alcoholics Anonymous uses the term fellowship. Yes. And I, I, again, I, I, I don't, I'm not going to share my background, but one of the things that I, I am, I'm a published author uh, dealing with various aspects of history. And so uh, I, I know from my history and my research that um, uh, I think most people probably know that Alcoholics Anonymous started as a Christian organization. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the Royal Canadian Legion um, in Canada it's it's fat it's fascinating because it was actually established by Queen Elizabeth as a means of being able to support the returning World War I veterans who had been through yes. these experiences, right? Again, and it's all based on Christian foundations. I mean, Queen Elizabeth was a bold witness in terms of her faith. And in fact, I mean, I, I think people saw that through even through the through the the, the funeral and so on, um, but it's to me it, it, and what we we discovered there's two parts that you have to have in order to create fellowship. And when you look at those four organizations, what do they all have in common? What they all have in common is there's actually a common lived experience. So our veterans have a common lived experience that creates this bond. Alcoholics Anonymous have a common lived experience that creates a bond. Churches have a common lived experience. That lived ex that, that, that common bond is Christ. Um, and, and what we discovered with our organization is, again, we have this common lived experience. But the second part that goes with it is that common lived experience also cannot, in any possible way, be communicated in a way that anyone who does not have that lived experience can truly understand it. 
And so, you know, we hear our veterans talk about that all the time. That, and it's absolutely true. Unless you have been in a theater of action, you cannot understand what it means to be through a theater of action. For, for someone who is going, someone who is um, fighting against addictions, you cannot understand what life is like on a daily basis. And, and I guess, and again, you know, I, and I'm going to go to the church model. You can't explain to someone what it's like to have the Holy Spirit in your life unless you have the Holy Spirit in your life. And so all we can do is, you know, we, we try to find words, we witness, we try to explain it, we share our stories, because ultimately that's what, we, I mean, that's what Christ is just calling us to do, is we're just, we're just sharing our story. I was going to say, I think in, in the over two years of FASD Hope, I think this is the first time that I've heard an FASD fellowship. And I love that. I pray that this year, rural FASD is an example of let's go beyond community. Let's go beyond organization. Let's go to fellowship. Because that is that is really the ultimate way that we can connect with each other. And then, like you said, unless and I tell this all the time to people who are not walking this journey, unless you've lived as, you know, either someone with an FASD or a parent or caregiver, you don't you you will not understand FASD. And that is what I think our community we need. Anybody who I, I like to use this term you're on the edge of advocacy, you know, people out there who are just like, I'm not sure what to do. Share that lived experience because then you create fellowship. I love that, Rob. And it, it, and that's, and that's the absolute key to it is. And when I look at all, again, I, you know, I think you probably know, I, I am, I am certainly well tapped into the uh, FASD world, um, and I look at I look at where organizations are at, and and I look at where all of that at, and it's the piece that's missed. Like when when you look at the ups and downs that organizations go through, it is the piece that 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 is always missing. Is that it's that bond that keeps people connected. And so when you talk about, when you talk about, you know, a, a, a church that is vibrant, a, a church that is vibrant, I can tell you right now, the reason they're vibrant is because every single person in that church feels that they're a part of something and they have value within that church. And that's what, that's what creates that passion, that energy to move forward. And, and and I guess for us, for rural FSD, it's it, it's always a little challenging because you never ever ever want to turn down someone who says they want to help. And so that's that's one of the big things that I think that we've been able to do is we've always been able to find a role, that's no matter what it is. And and I'll tell you right now, you know, there has been a lot of steps out in faith where. Okay, I have no idea, you know, we have no idea where the money's coming from, but God's going to provide it. We're just going to run with this and we're going to see where it goes. And yeah. so, um, and, and it is like God has done that a lot in terms of tests of faith 
bring us the person first and then provide us the resources afterwards as to how it's going to be done. Yes. And let's talk, Rob, about because another of the many things I love about rural FAST is the diversity. And we were talking about that before we started recording, how we need that diverse fellowship in order to thrive, in order for for you know, people to learn in order to grow, in order to get resources. And I love that about rural FASD. There's such diversity and representation. You have people with that lived experience as as self-advocates. You have parents of those with FASD. You have a wide representation of individuals and not just from from different backgrounds, from different cultures. It's a very diverse organization. Let's talk about So anyone who's listening, who is either thinking about starting an organization or maybe in the beginnings of of an organization, why is it so important, whether in Canada or in the U.S. or anywhere, for provincial, for state, regional groups to have this diverse representation in their community slash organization slash fellowship? Yeah, and and really, when you get right down to it, any time that you're doing that 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 local, that provincial, that federal advocacy, you have to keep in mind that it's um, number one, it's 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 public money, and so off of that public money, you know, no one wants to give money to a special interest group, and so when you need to be representative of the community you have to you have to be an integral part of the community um you know i i I see some organizations who who believe that the segregated model is the way to go uh we do not um you know for us it's it has to be inclusive um the other part i think that's important to keep in mind too though is is we don't Lots of lots of folks outside of the organization look at our different profiles, but it, it they're just not conversations that happen within our organization because it's it's like, and again, I I, I for me and, and I know that that other folks in the organizations look at it in different ways, but but for me, we're all equal. We're all human beings. We're all trying to get through life. And, and and whatever whatever different profiles or whatever it, it doesn't really matter from that extent because again through that common experience the the other part that comes into it though is recognizing that it's you have to always make sure that you're giving something back you we have to if 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 we weren't here the community would be poor for it and so that's the other part that's really important to keep in mind is how we pay back and this is and I, this actually leads into again one of the key things that we've learned here in the last few years is um, you were asking some of the, the key milestones. One of the big milestones that we were able to accomplish last year was we, we formed a, um, a partnership with, uh, with uh, uh, one of our local universities, and we were able to have a, um, a fourth-year BSW student uh, do the, her intern with us. 
And through that project, um, she was able to accomplish what we call our environmental scan of, the, uh, of our two counties. And what she did was she literally interviewed every single service organization that exists within our two counties and determined number one, um, what services we do have available uh, to be able to tap into. And then number two, how FASD informed they were. But through that research, um, there is a study out there that I would really, really recommend people to take a look at. It's done by CANFAS. It's Dr. Jackie Pye. And the document is Toward Healthy Outcomes. And it has been an absolute lighthouse for us because when you get right down to it, if, it, if we were to ask ourselves, what are the things that our adult children need in order to be able to succeed in life? We have some idea, but this document lays it right out. You have to be able to support in these 12 sectors. There are 12 sectors, and they have to be supported in all 12. And if there's even one missing, you're, you're not going to achieve that healthy life outcome. You have to have all 12. And through the eScan study, what we found was the least served of the 12 sectors was actually community engagement. And community engagement is defined as things like recreation, being able to participate in events and festivals and fairs and those kinds of things. Uh, it's being able to uh, be an integral part of um, a church. It's being able to be an integral part of, um, you know, some of our other service, some of our um, uh, community organizations. And this is where it ties back to that accessibility piece. We really don't do a good job of enabling people with disabilities to engage within our community. Before our conversation, we started recording, you and I both shared that as parents of young adults with FASD, that this is one of the big gaps that we are facing is having community engagement for our young adults with FASD because they're at this juncture where so many of their friends who have, you know, neurotypical lives are reaching those milestones and going beyond. And our young adults don't have that access. They don't have that, those programs, those fellowship to be able to, to join the way their neurotypical peers are. And so, and I actually describe it as it's not, it's not intentional. Like it, it is absolutely not intentional. Right. When, when I go out and, and I advocate on behalf, you know, and I'm advocating on behalf of the organization and my children and so on, as soon as I bring awareness to it, everybody's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and this, and again, you know, we were referring a little bit earlier to the fact that one of the big blessings that I believe that COVID has brought to everyone's attention, mm -hmm. everybody understands the importance of community engagement now. And so it is in our culture to a large extent, for whatever reason, um, our, our folks with disabilities continue to be segregated. They are not being engaged and included within the kinds of things. And again, like I said, absolutely not intentional, but there has to be, 
there has to be adaptations, there has to be accommodations, there has to be changes made in order for, for, for our people with FASD, for our people with disabilities to be able to do these kinds of things moving forward. Yes, yes. And uh, Rob, I'm just so thankful you're sharing this because I know that for the two of us talking, there's hundreds of thousands of people out there who are trying to get through and trying to figure out you know, their next steps, especially we yeah. know as parents, that and you you know you shared with me because your young adult children are a little bit older than than our young adult son it doesn't get better in you know right it really doesn't get better until it really they find that fellowship they find that community engagement and unfortunately that really doesn't happen in the early 20s or even the mid 20s it's 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 yeah. later when kind of the the playing field is leveled off a little more. So that's a challenge I know that we parents face. So again, like you said, I love how you said your your kids are your heroes. I mean, I feel that way about both of my kids and especially our son, because it, just for him to wake up and walk, I mean, for somebody to walk yeah. two feet yeah. in his boots, you know, it would be like yeah. the equivalent of 2000 steps and for someone without FASD. So I'm I'm just, I'm so thankful we're having this conversation, Rob. There's something that just happened. Let's talk about what just happened in October, because it's pretty exciting. And it's, it was something pretty big for rural FASD. It was. So we, uh, one of the things that we have been, um, advocating for, for a long time is, uh, a national strategy for Canada in terms of supporting people with FASD. And uh, there, there has been a lot of conversations going on for a few years now. And, and again, uh, we, we have a, a very good relationship with um, the Canadian FASD Research Network, also known as CANFAS. And so we've been able to, uh, we were able to partner with them uh, they have been doing a lot of work at the national level as well, um, obviously around that idea. And so one of the challenges that we've been facing, though, is it, in order to do uh, a presentation at the federal government, for us, it's Parliament Hill. I know in the States, it's the White House. So, um, uh, well, actually, it would be Congress. I guess it would be Congress would be the equivalent. So Capitol Hill, uh, yeah. <laughs> the Hill, I guess. Sure. <laughs> That's uh, right. But uh, anyways, we were able to, our, our local uh, representative in, uh, at, at uh, Parliament Hill, Scott Reed, uh, we had a conversation earlier in the year. And again, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to share his story. I'm just going to say that uh, he gets it. And so he was uh, the one who stepped forward and said, you know what, we need to do something. And so he agreed to sponsor us because you can't, as the public, you can't just go in. Uh, you, you need to be able to work with a representative. And through, uh, through that relationship with him, his staff, uh, the work that they have been doing with us uh, enabled us to, uh, to go to the Hill actually this past Thursday on uh, October 20th. And uh, within the two hours that we were there, uh, we were able to bring in um, 
20 of our organization representatives, including all, uh, including our seven uh, youth. We got to come up with a good term for them. We haven't, we haven't quite figured out what the term is yet. Um, but uh, the, the leader of our youth group is um, uh, Shelby is, uh, was, was named last year Canada's very first youth accessibility leader with FASD. And so she was serving as, uh, uh, as a spokesperson for the youth group. And then within that day, there was, uh, we had, we had, um, we actually had uh, 82 people uh, come and listen to the presentation. And out of those 82 people, there was uh, fifth, um, I think uh, it was 16 MPs, um, members of parliament uh, were there. Um, they met with all seven of our youth. They met with all five of us caregivers. They met with uh, uh, the FASD representatives who are, are um, really our, our, our knowledge experts in terms of best practices and so on. And then we got a, um, we got a, um, right out of the blue the week before, um, we got a call from the Nishinaabe ASCII Nation from Northern Ontario asking if they could come and join us. And so they actually came in and provided that indigenous lens as, as well. And in Canada to, um, uh, to, have a, uh, to have an indigenous uh, advocate join us is, um, that, that's, it's very powerful, very powerful indeed. So, uh, so, it, we just we were able to bring these 80 people together and, and just share our stories for the two hours. Uh, people will want to get onto our website here probably in the next week. Uh, we, we, we brought in our, our, our full force. Uh, we have some videos uh, that we recorded of the day. We've got some pictures around it. But the biggest thing that came out of it was um, the fact that it was announced that the Senate uh, introduced Bill S-235 on the 19th. And S-235 is the um, national framework for how to support people with FASD in Canada. And and the comment that we got back afterwards uh, was, it it is a... um, because of everyone that was involved and because of the conversations and because of the interest that was displayed within uh, that day, there is a very strong feeling that we're going to be able to get this done. It's going to take a while. There's no doubt about it. And and we're going to have to certainly stay on top of it. And we're going to have to certainly continue to share our voices and so on. But um, we definitely have the right partners and we definitely have uh, a large extent, the necessary decision makers that, uh, and there, there, there most certainly was interest in, in, that's, in seeing it get happen. That's a big victory, Rom. And we are watching closely down here because, you know, we have the FASD Respect Act, S2238 HR 4151, which is being introduced in our, you know, on our Capitol Hill in our legislation with our Congress and um, our senators. And it's so wonderful that S235 is happening at the same time of the FASD Respect Act, because 
I think that they can give each other momentum. You know, we can look and say, hey, look what Canada is doing. And Canada can say, hey, look what you, you know, United States is doing. Um, so those like you're talking about, those ripple effects go so far. And um, I am so, so thankful. So we are going to be um, all this week in our social media posts, as well as um, in today's program notes, we're going to be sharing that information that Rob mentioned about not only how you can access and watch the videos and how you can access that information, but especially how you can get onto uh, rural FASD. And if you're not already part of this movement, to become a part of this movement and to help bring those voices to um, to to those people who need to hear them. So that is wonderful, Rob. Congratulations. Oh my goodness. And I'm so thankful that I, I'm one of the first people to share that because that's just such a victory again. Um, and, and again, what happens when you go beyond organization and you go beyond, you know, business and you go beyond nonprofit and it, it's really a fellowship. And like you said, there's it so is. many in yeah. integral people that are a part of that fellowship too. Before we wrap things up, we have many things in common. We had a great conversation before we started recording. One of the things we have in common is we both um, live in very rural areas of our of our regions, you and your province yeah. and us in, in here in our state. We know that there are both blessings and challenges that come with rural living. You know, we talked a little bit about some of them. For us, one I think one of the biggest blessings is is we have a simple life. And we have a life that for, at least for our family, we're, we love the outdoors. We're outdoors pretty much, you know, <laughs> the majority yeah. of the time, especially this time yeah. of year in North Carolina, because we're experiencing, you know, the lovely weather down here at, at this time. Let's talk about the, the pros and cons, the blessings and the challenges of rural living and a family with the FASD journey. So I, certainly from our standpoint, the uh, it's becoming much more difficult now to find a um, a negative about rural living, to be honest. I know. Everybody wants to so, see. We started this way before the pandemic, Rob. I know. I mean. Well, and, and the thing is, and, and, you know, a lot of times you talk about the fact that um, maybe the one negative that people tend to focus on is is it's certainly diff more difficult to access services. Um, Especially in and, and again, this is one of, yeah, and this is one of, but this is, again, one of the things that we discovered very early on with our organization. And again, this is a, it, it, when, when folks are, you know, if there are folks looking out there to really get things started, one of the big things that we learned very early on is your core is your rural community. And, and when we look at where our sustainability is and when we look at why we have continued to be able to grow and 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 and, and in fact even thrive through um through covid like I, I don't know if people realize we actually doubled in numbers over these last two years yes. so because and again the reason for it is um we had already intentionally uh prepared for COVID, I guess, to a large extent because of the You're rural accessibility aspect. That's right. But I, on, that, on that note, though, what we discovered is um, in our conversations with our local service providers, 
the services we quickly discovered, they're actually there. Um, it, they're hard to find a lot of times. And, and the marketing and the communication is, is uh, uh, a lot, most service organizations, you know, what little money that they have is going to go toward services. It's not going to go toward marketing communication. It's just not, right? And at the same time, what you also get then is most, uh, our, our local services, we say this all the time, um, we can't work in silos. Whereas you see that a lot in the urban model where, because there's a large enough amount of money and there's enough clients that an organization can segregate itself. And, 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 but then at the same time, what happens then is they actually get into competition with similar organizations because they're all fighting for that same pot of money and clients. And, and there's no collaboration that happens there. Whereas in the rural area for just survival sake, we have to work together and we mm -hmm. pool our resources together and we build again, I'm gonna come back to that fellowship and that, uh, that concept of community. And what we quickly discovered was when you pool it all together and you actually discover what's there, everything that is needed to succeed is there. What was missing was how to best serve us. It's that piece around not knowing how to serve a client with FASD, not knowing what the best practices are, not knowing what the research is. And so that's, that's, where, our, that's where our pieces came into play is, again, by providing that training, our collaborating service providers, I, I cannot speak highly enough on how great they are. And, and just, again, being able to come together and do those kinds of things. And, and really, at the end of the day, the only reason we even do provincial and federal advocacy is because um, as we work through this process, we find gaps. And, and when we find those gaps, in order to fill those gaps, what we discover sometimes is the gap is actually due to the fact that it's the people above them is not providing that resource. And so that's why we have to go to the province and we have to advocate at the provincial level. But again, it's with the intention, it's strictly with the intention of, we just need this gap filled in our particular area. And even at the federal level, it's just the same thing. We, we have this gap, we have to come to you because nobody else it, it, you're the decision maker. We need you to make the decision to change and to fill this gap. And so that's that's the blessing, I guess, to a large extent of the rural area. And then at the same time, it lends itself so nicely again to that fellowship aspect. I, you know, I've I've lived in urban settings, and it continues to boggle my mind that there are people who can live in an apartment building on the same floor and not know their neighbors. Like for years, <laughs> for years. And exactly. I'm like, how, can, how can you possibly do that? It's like, <laughs> you know, I just, I, 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 I can tell you, I can tell you all 12 farms along the highway I, thank who you. lives there. And in fact, I can name their dogs and their cats and, and, what, the whole kind, bed, and right? what kind of pies and, they like exactly, and what we exchange exactly. at, at the holidays. And, and, and so yeah. it's like, you know, at the end of the day, and then the other part of it for us is um, 
that simple life, I have the ability, I can shut the world out by simply unplugging the router on our internet. And that's it. That's all I have to do. And if I unplug that router and I lock it up in the safe, the world can't touch us and we have no idea what's going on. And, and the reality is there are times when we need that, where there are times when we have to have that ability to completely isolate ourselves from the world because the wor- life has gotten to be too much. And, and, and it becomes so dysregulating that you need that piece of, of, of being nowhere, of being out in the middle of nowhere. And then the last piece that I, I, I want to share with with your listeners, and, and I'm glad, and I'm glad you made mention of just our organization because even though, even though yes, we primarily serve folks in the counties of Lanark and Leeds Granville, our our membership is not. Our membership is is absolutely international. Uh, like we we are connected with the folks in Scotland. We're connected with the folks in Russia. We are connected with lots of folks out of the states. And, and the reason we are is because we knew, even within the counties of Lanark and Leeds Granville, it's a three and a half hour drive to get from one border to the other. And so how are we going to reach all these folks that need the support? Well, this is why we have been able, we have been doing this hybrid model of being able to connect people both through the internet through the internet with our Zoom and our speaker series. And so our support groups always, always, always is that hybrid model in the same way, you know, you can contact us through our website, you can contact us through our email addresses. Um, and we will absolutely reply to you. And and if it's something as simple as um, you know, what practices have you found in within your group that that work, you know, I have this challenge that I'm dealing with right now. The last thing that I want to share would be um, the other big milestone is is we 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 became the recipients of a uh, it's called a Trillium grant out of uh, through the province of Ontario and the Trillium grant is is uh, basically the, the the biggest community grant that you can get. So uh, we we uh, we have received a, a half a million dollars for over the next four years. And through that, what we've been able to do is we now have a full, we have our first two employees. Uh, We have a full-time program coordinator and we have a part-time marketing person. And so if people reach out to us, we finally have the capacity beyond our 56 volunteers that have been running all this program and keeping us going. Um, I can guarantee at this point, we will be able to serve you. Uh, Judith and Samantha are absolutely top notch and we're really looking forward to what we can do going forward. That is fantastic. What amazing initiative. So ending the year with that, that, oh my goodness, that is such a blessing, Rob, to hear that. And it's so exciting. Again, I I think what you and I have learned it through our lived experiences being rural families is we were kind of proactively hybrid before it became a big That's, thing, you know? Exactly. Yeah. 
yeah. we had really good Wi-Fi out here because we needed it to. So, you know, this was long before the pandemic. And the same thing, we had a Zoom account before, you know, before we before Zoom became popular because exactly. living out in the middle of nowhere, having, you know, the, your closest store be 20 minutes away. You gotta, you gotta have that connectivity. So I love that. So, so, you know, for all you urban organizations out there, I'm, I'm not dissing you, but Hey, take a look (laughs) at how the rural fellowships and the rural communities are working because we really do look out for each other. There really is, you know, I think especially with our neighbors and our farmer neighbors and, and farmers, you know, we're a scrappy bunch, you know, we look out for each other and (laughs) I can tell you the horse farmer down the road and the sweet potato farmer up the street and, you know, the, the corn farmer down the road and, it, it's just we look out for each other. You know, if there's a car driving by that we well, know is not supposed to be around. Oh, yeah, I'm calling my neighbor across the street and let her know. So it, it, there really is, I think, honestly, more blessings than not in having rural living. And I also, Rob, I'm, I'm thankful that you're pointing out we have learned that I think that you said there are services out there. We just need to dig deeper for them because unfortunately, like you said, there's not that marketing out there, but Hey, you know what? If you take that time and just set aside a chunk of time and say, I'm, my mission is to find this. I bet you it's going to be out there, but it may be under, you know, the title of something else and you just have to dig deeper. And that's part of, of being in a rural community is somebody's probably doing something you need. You just have to, you know, you have to, make those calls or send those emails. And so I love that. I love that. And that gives me hope. And I'm so thankful to share that. So before we end on our hope takeaways, um, Rob, how can folks get in touch with you, Rural FASD, your your full-time employees? Please share away. So first of all, we uh, the, the easiest way for sure is is through the website. I, I will give a heads up to folks that uh, it is under uh, a little bit of construction because we, uh, as, as you heard, um, there's really no reference to uh, October 20th or even the Trillium uh, announcement related to it. So, uh, uh, but definitely through the website, which is uh, www.rulefasd.ca. Uh, rule is the R-U-R-A-L, uh, F-A-S-D dot C-A. Uh, and then uh, you can certainly follow us. Uh, our, our, our new marketing person has already established a new um, public Facebook page. We had been a, uh, a closed private, private Facebook yes. page up, yes. until, uh, uh, up until actually this week. So uh, we just launched our new public Facebook page and, and Samantha's going to continue uh, spotlighting and bringing attention to FASD in general through it. Uh, for those that are looking for, uh, for direct support and help though, uh, the, the closed one is still there and, and folks are more than welcome to still join it. And, and that's really where the the confidential conversations are happening and, and, and so on and where the, the real support's taking place within our community. And then uh, uh, I'm, I'm as, as readers may not necessarily know, but uh, I'm in my mid fifties, which basically means I don't really understand the social media business stuff, but uh, uh, Samantha's told us that uh, Instagram is a really good thing. So we it actually is. have a, 
Okay, so we've got, uh, we just launched our, uh, apparently we just launched on Instagram this week as well. And, uh, and then uh, we also have a Twitter account that uh, will, uh, that uh, we are looking definitely to boost as well. So I know Samantha would be beyond thrilled to have people like and follow and and all of those things. And, uh, and then if uh, on the contact information on the website, that will take you directly to Judith, our program coordinator. And, uh, and Judith will basically get you hooked up to uh, uh, whatever program or, or whatever person uh, you uh, would need to get in contact with at that point. So, so I will be sharing all of that information, including your brand new social media handles. And I'll be tagging Rural FASD in this this week's post so that we can get more exposure and that you can get more followers and subscribers. So everything not only will be in this week's post, but as well as today's program notes. Rob, it has been a pleasure speaking with you today and just having fellowship with you. I, I think that this is one of these rare episodes where I just feel, you know, when you have that fellowship and like you said, that goes beyond community, it goes beyond, it's that lived journey and that understanding. Um, I think that's so important in the FASD community because there are so many misconceptions, misunderstandings and, and misinformation. So to be able to share that fellowship in FASD, I think is so important. So I always love to end on hope takeaways, uh, words of hope for our listeners on this journey. Um, Your um, rural FASD and your family's journey, as well as the the many families involved in rural FASD, I see you all as beacons of hope to me and in your growth, in what you're doing and in your impact. What words of hope can you share with our listeners before we sign off? I think probably the biggest word of hope that I would share is it was it was 17 years ago that uh, my wife and I, um, we had been through, God had made it very clear through our seven miscarriages that uh, our family was to be an adopted one. And so he brought to us these three beautiful, incredible children. Um, and we were told at that time because of the circumstances that they were coming through, that the, that they were coming from, um, my, 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 my 22 year old now is, uh, uh, we were told that she would likely not be able to understand the concept of love, that she would likely not be able to even show love. Um, our, our now 20 year old is, um, um, at that time when we were adopted her, she was five years old and she wasn't speaking yet. She had no words. Uh, and we were told that she would likely, based on the assessments at that time, that, uh, she would not, um, ever be able to live any type of an independent life. And then our youngest, um, we were told that uh, he, they weren't sure how long he was going to live. And 17 years later, um, my 22-year-old 
graduated from high school. She is um, one credit away from getting her university degree. Uh, she and her partner are uh, expecting in, uh, in May. And we are, we are a very um, interesting family. I will, I, I, we, we don't fit the profile, I will say that, but in terms of just, and then my 20 year old, um, my 20 year old's gonna graduate with her college degree in, uh, in, in December, in two months. Uh, she's, she's three fourths through the, through the college program. And, and my 16 year old is, um, his, his co-op, he is capable, the amount of times he has taken our four wheeler completely apart and scattered the parts across the yard and put them all back together is I can't even count anymore. And everybody is telling us his his dream of becoming a heavy equipment mechanic is beyond realistic and in fact he is going to be like we're, I, I i'm an academic i don't even I, I have no clue how he does it but he does it and everybody that's into the in industry says he has got an incredibly bright future and so i guess for me like i said my three children are absolutely my superheroes. And the amount of times that my wife and I were told that it wasn't going to be possible, the amount of times that my wife and I heard people predict what their future was going to be, I can't even count. And the only reply that I ever, ever, ever had to come back with is, the only person who knows what my children's future is, is in heaven above. And unless you got a direct line with him, I'm not listening to you. So folks, that. it can absolutely be done. Do not let anyone tell you otherwise. I love that. Powerful words of hope. Rob Moore of Rural FASD and beyond. It has been a joy speaking with you. Thank you for being on FASD Hope. Thank you for having me. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Becchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out FASDHope.com or please leave us a five-star rating and review and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us again next week and remember to be informed Take care and always have hope.